here we go. It's episode nine of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition, that is. I'm your guy, Joe Serralo, and joining me, my man, Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie, we've got some breaking news this episode. The first trade of presumably and hopefully many a month ahead of the deadline, and it involves my Knicks. I got to give you your propers here, man. You mentioned last episode that you thought the Knicks should be active at the trade deadline this year. Well, they came through ahead of schedule. Mackenzie, great call right there. How you doing, my man? Some people get premonitions. I'm one of them. Sometimes it wasn't really the trade I would have I would have expected at all. But uh, appreciate appreciate that shot in the dark. Uh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. By the way, I just found out something. I didn't know St. Bonaventure. Uh, their, their mascot, I mean, I know people call them the Bonnies, like on SportsCenter. I, I hear that all the time, the Bonnies, how they're doing. But they, the mascot are the Bonnies. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that, man. Huh? I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah, so it was uh, originally the Brown Indians. And uh, as you can imagine, that really doesn't fly anymore. Hasn't flown for a few decades hmm. now. <laughs> um, so they just made it the Bonnies. And then the mascot is a wolf. And that actually originated from the story of St. Francis and the Wolf, uh, because we do have our core curriculum, the theology-based curriculum at St. Bonaventure is based around Saints Francis and Claire, and so big tie in there with St. Francis, and that's how we landed the Wolf as the mascot for the Bonnies. The more you know. I asked Brad, I asked him if it was Bonnie, as in like the adjective, like Bonnie Lass, like a pretty girl in Ireland, <laughs> I didn't know. But um, that's hmm. yeah, yeah. They're doing all right. They're doing all right. We are, uh, I believe, nine and three on the season. One and zero in conference play. We actually just played our first game uh, against LaSalle. We won in overtime. That was our first game in over three weeks, and we had two practices over those three weeks. So we've got VCU coming up, and hoping that we hit our stride and get hot. And your ATS record is ats so you got to know that stuff you got to know that stuff here when you're when you're rocking in vegas man. I, I know it's not good i know it's not good that much i could tell you but speaking of rocking in vegas we are both five and three that is 63 percent not bad we have a couple more best bets later in the show but first you mentioned it i want to hear your reaction first what do you make of two teams struggling in the hawks 17 and 23 right now entering thursday and the Knicks 21 and 21. What do you make of this trade? Where are these teams going? Well, so he, here's the thing, McKenzie, right? If you look at the grand scheme of things this season, yes, the Knicks are struggling. They're 21 and 21. Uh, that, that's a big underperformance uh, compared to where they finished last season when they were the four seed, had home court in the first round of the playoffs against the very Atlanta Hawks that they just made a trade with. But in the last 10, the Knicks are seven and three straight up, seven and three against the spread. And the Knicks are going to be competitive down the stretch. The Atlanta Hawks, I don't know if I could say the same for a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. I mean, they're 17 and 23. They might be packing it in early. But regardless of whether this is a sell move for the Hawks or not, it was a good move because they hadn't been utilizing Cam Reddish to his maximum potential. So you've got a chance now, if you're the Hawks, to potentially get a first rounder this year from Charlotte. Why the hell not? I mean, whoever they draft, in all likelihood, will play a bigger role next year than Cam Reddish would have for this Atlanta team. And for the Knicks, it's it's an all-in move that I absolutely love. The small forward position has been one that they've really struggled with. Evan Fournier, who is by trade a two-guard, has been getting a lot of reps at the three this year. And he's been one of the worst free agent signings on the market. I hated it when they signed him. I still hate it now. Fournier is like a tale of two cities 
uh, the way he performs against the Boston Celtics versus the way he performs against the other 28 teams in the league. So he's been a total bust. And having Reddish in there might rejuvenate this team, having the Reddish-RJ Duke duo in there at the two and the three. Well, he's got upside, right? I mean, that's why he was a top 10 pick. So was Kevin Knox. But I think he was more thought that he was going to be reliable. And Reddish was thought maybe he could be a star. Maybe he still can. You mentioned next year, any any old player. I mean, the given is that he wanted to be traded very badly and that he wasn't needed on a team that has a plethora of wings, Bogdanovich, Hunter, once he comes back. But here's the thing you got to know. It wasn't in your boy's article Adrian Wojnarowski did not mention anything about next year probably, maybe, not being the year that they're going to be able to get some compensation for Reddish. Uh, Thank you to Locked On Podcast, uh, Locked On the Hawks, for informing me, because this is not – I just flipped it on before this podcast to see what, uh, you know, an insider, someone listening every day to Hawk stuff would say. And uh, it's it's, uh, top 18 protected next year. And then it becomes top 16 protected. The Hornets are having a beating expectations year. And they're currently 20th. Their pick would be 20th in the first round. And and it would convey. But I don't think they're going to be in the top 20 most likely. But it's going to be close. Reddish has more turnovers and assists in his career. The question is, are the Knicks in a position where they can turn it over to a guy who really has been a gunner since high school and hasn't really done anything in the NBA, hasn't been given the opportunity, maybe. Do you want R.J. Barrett handling the facilitator role while Reddish gets a lot of shots up? It seems like a desperation move. And you talked about not meeting expectations. Let me run down some Vegas numbers that show this is far from meeting expectations for both franchises. And I want to hear some more about your thoughts on on uh, the Knicks side and as, as I've given my thoughts on the Hawks. So the Knicks entered this season. They mentioned, you know, last year they made the playoffs to beat expectations. First time in eight seasons, first time since 2013. And yeah, they have all the same players back. Maybe Rose is a year older. A lot of people thought Rose should have been out of the league five years ago. Nate Duncan, sorry, but it's true. Uh, They were minus 150. That's about 60% to make the playoffs. And now they're currently 11th, just out of what would be the play-in tournament. And it'd be pretty tough as the 10th to win as an underdog on the road twice to make the playoffs. Now now they're plus 450. They were minus 150. Now they're plus 450. They have about implied 16% chance to make it. So maybe Thibodeau has some slack and they're saying, well, Reddish and Barrett can can build something for next year because this this isn't working. I said last week that they should probably trade Randall. This tells me that they're not necessarily – well, it's interesting because they're they're getting a player for now while the Hawks are getting a draft pick. But I think this is a long-term move for both franchises, really. Now, the Hawks have been much worse. They were Final Four team. They were top two in the East. They had a lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the Hawks have now a 30% chance to make the playoffs. They had a season over under a 48. And that's down to 40. So they're still expected to almost be 500. So they're six games under 500 right now. They'd have to finish only a game and a half under 500 to meet this number. So they're expected, they're still considered in the market an above average team, but it's going to be an uphill battle. They have a 30% chance to make the playoffs. They're on pace for 35 wins. And they had a 70% chance. No, no, better than that. They had like a... 85% 85% chance. They were minus 500 to start the season. Now they're plus 200. 
So usually when you have all the same players back and you bring the team back and you are so pitiful, uh, the coach is to blame. And in, I've often said, people have written about this, Doc Rivers has said, you really don't move the needle that much as an NBA coach. It's kind of a myth. But they can't really blame it on the coach this year because you might remember last year, Lloyd Pierce, much to the chagrin of Rick Carlisle and others, was fired midseason. And Nate McMillan ended the season 27-11 and 11 straight up. They uh, went from a big underdog to make the playoffs to making the playoffs to making the Eastern Conference Finals. How do you get you – can't, you can't move on from that. You can't, I mean, that's, that's the commitment that you make at that point. Or do you? I mean, Trey Young has seemed to have kept being as good as he's ever been, but they are now – I mean, what do, you, what do you blame it on? Why are the Hawks – I mean, they're number two on offense per cleaning glass numbers in the league. They have enough bodies. You think they'd be decent enough to string together some wins? What do you think is going on? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, it's I think it's a combination of things. I think that they've been shorthanded for a lot of this season. You know, whether it was Trey Young being out with COVID or Hunter's injury. I mean, he is crucial to that team on both sides of the ball. I don't think that Collins has really performed up to expectations this year when he's been on the court. And I think that that's left the Hawks without much depth. Uh, down low. I'm not really impressed with what they have in the post past Collins. And I think that they've been exploited in the post in the games that he's missed. You know, just everything that went right for Atlanta a year ago has gone wrong for them this season. And, and it's funny because if you just look at the standings, right, and each team's placement, you've got the Knicks at 11 and the Atlanta Hawks at 12th in the Eastern Conference. But what that alone doesn't tell you is that the Knicks, as the 11th best team right now in the Eastern Conference, they are just three games behind the five seed, the Philadelphia 76ers, whereas they're three games ahead of the 12 seed Atlanta Hawks. So right now, if I'm looking at the Eastern Conference, right, this is an 11 team race for 10 spots and then ultimately the final eight. And I think the Knicks are right in it. You know, they're tied with the Celtics right now, uh, who are the 10 seed. And then the teams in front of them, I think are very catchable. Teams like the Washington Wizards, the Charlotte Hornets, even the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are the sixth seed, you know, the Cavs are fading fast. I know that they've won two in a row, but prior to this little mini win streak, if you can even call it that, they were down to just 22 and 18. The Cavs were the one seed not too long ago, McKenzie. I mean, and then they saw themselves after this Rubio injury fall to just 22 and 18. Cleveland is collapsing. I think the East outside of those top four spots with Chicago, Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee, I think the East is wide open from five to 10 and that the Knicks by making this trade are trying to get into that five to eight range now, whereas Atlanta is kind of giving up on the season and hoping that Charlotte plays well enough that the Hawks can get a first round pick this year. I tried to tell you that the Cleveland Cavaliers were not an above average team because they didn't have enough good players. But both of these teams that we're talking about, the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks have all-stars, at least purportedly, and they play each other Saturday night in Atlanta. and. I mean, do you know? Do you know if they, if if these if these players can can swap jerseys and and play? I mean, I would imagine Reddish is going to be suiting up for the Knicks in this one, right? I mean, basketball is probably the easiest sport, especially at the pro level, to just plug in and play. And I, I think Reddish is going to be anxious. You know, he he doesn't have to fly to New York just yet. I think he's going to be anxious to suit up for the Knicks in his <laughs> former home arena on Saturday night. And man, I think he's going to have a big game. You know, for me, the, the most impressive 
piece of Cam Reddish's game right now is his three-point shooting, where a year ago, he was just 26% beyond the arc. This year, he's already made more threes than he did last season, and he's making them at a 38% clip. That's a huge increase. And I'm not making any comparisons, um, but we've talked a couple episodes ago about LeBron James, right? And how you even find the most impressive thing with him is the way he improves upon his game year after year and how John Morant is similar in that respect. And I'm not comparing Cam Reddish to those two, but that is a hell of an improvement. And I think for a young guy to take the initiative, you know, don't forget Reddish is a year younger than me, right? I believe he's just 22 years old. For him to take the initiative and to go out there and make such a big improvement from year two to three, you know, he's averaging his career high in points per game and it's only 12. But for me, the impressive thing there is that he's doing so in the fewest minutes per game he's ever logged. I think if the Knicks play him more and utilize him and get the best out of him, that he can be an integral part of this team. And I think, truthfully, his first game as a Nick, I mean, we've seen lesser names go off uh, with, in their first game with the Knicks. You know, I remember being at my first Knicks game, actually, was Tracy McGrady's Knicks debut. And I'm not calling him a lesser name, but it was also Eddie House's Knicks debut. And it was a double overtime loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder at the Garden. And Eddie House, McKenzie, dropped 34 in that game. Guys tend to light it up in their Knicks debuts. And I think Cam Reddish is going to be another name on that list. Brazilian star Rabinho once scored a goal in his debut in Manchester City. And I said, there's no possible way that a guy that scores one goal every eight games shows up at a place with no experience with anybody. But he but he freaking did, because that's what players do. It's such a moment. It happens over and over again. We see it. So best bet, bonus best bet, by price, 12 and a half. The number's not, not out yet. Saturday night, Cam Reddish over up to 12 and a half. Last game, his prop was set at nine and a half. There's probably been some rumblings that that uh, he was on his way out. He's like seven for 26 with five rebounds in his last four games. So probably understood or implicit or explicit that he was, he was on his way out the door. He wanted to be. Now he has, I mean, it's, it's an ideal situation. He has experience with his fellow guard wing player and R.J. Barrett. They played together throughout AAU college. He has experience in his home arena, I don't know, like yesterday, like last week he was there shooting. <laughs> so that's an advantage. And just to stick stick it in the franchise's eye, his, his teammates' eye, the coach's eye, the co- his teammates are going to want to be the, do that for him. Thibodeau will want to do that for him. We haven't broken down this game from a side spread yet. I'm predicting that the Hawks right now, their current lineup, would be about a three-point home favorite versus the Knicks. Uh, I lean Knicks because they've made a decision not for draft picks but for talent and uh, a positive move rather than a negative move. What do you think if you're Nate McMillan and they're trading for draft picks? It's like, it's not good. No. I like that. It's a positive move instead of a negative move. And – I like them to feed Reddish. So best bet, I lean the Knicks plus three, but best bet, Cam Reddish over up to 12 and a half points. I love that from a prop perspective, my man, but from a side perspective, give me the Knicks money line in this one. Here's a stat for you. Since December 2nd, that's 21 games. That's a hell of a body of work. That's half of the Knicks games this season. So in the second half of all the games that the Knicks have played, the past 21, their cover outcome has been the exact same as their straight-up outcome. So when the Knicks have won, they've covered. When they've lost, they haven't. I think the Knicks win this one outright. Obviously, if they're three-point dogs, that means that they're going to cover. 
So if you're if you're a little more conservative and you don't want to make the money line bet, take them plus the three. But I think the Knicks are going to win this one outright. So Knicks money line is my play for the game. But if we're looking at props, I love the reddish over 12 and a half as well. I've gone back and forth on this. Fezzik told me, do you think there's a one in 50 chance that your plus five is going to win by one or point or two points? I'm like, yeah, maybe. Then it, you can't bet the money line. He would say it just like that. I'm not sure if I got the math exactly right. At the same time, I had plus two on the Nets. Uh, it, it was plus four at the time. I couldn't bet it. By the time it came out in Vegas, it was plus two. And the money line, I mean, I could have got plus 105, was a much better bet. And I knew that. But there was some part of me that said, well, this is the way you do it. And I'm not sure. It's also unheard of to like beat the NBA. And I don't think that's impossible either. So like you, at some point you got to break away from what's expected because you got to beat expectations in order to beat it. Uh, you got to beat the bookies. So I go back and forth. I, I can't lie. Plus it probably, I mean, when you think about it, it's only like one in 20 times that it's going to matter on a plus three, but it really matters to pull a winner out of a loser. I mean, professional bettors win 11 out of 20 bets on the side, that's 55%. If one of those money lines would have flipped, that's the that's the whole ball game. So I go I go back and forth. I think you could think about it situationally, but generally, if you like the plus three or you like the money line, you're not far off. I don't think one is, is far superior than the other. Yeah, like, like we've talked about, and you gave the example there of plus five taking a money line. That sweet spot, especially this year in the NBA, seems to be anything within three and a half and with a line coming out at Hawks minus three and the trend of the Knicks you know their last 21 games it's not just like a three four game trend here we're talking half of the season to date this straight up outcome has been the same as the cover outcome for me it's worth taking the chance in this one is it safer to go plus three absolutely because like you said it could be the difference between going 10 and 10 and if you're betting 20 games and being a loser or going 11 and 9 and being a winner but I just, I'm very confident in the way that the Knicks are playing ball right now. I mean, Dallas was a hot team and the Knicks ran them out of the gym the other night. And you and I, I think we're both on the Mavericks minus the two and a half in that one. Not, not that we played it or endorsed it as a best bet, but I think we were both leaning that way. And the Knicks ran them out of the gym, almost a 20 point win. So I think the Knicks are feeling a little something and the Hawks, you know, don't forget, they will also be on the second leg of a back-to-back in this one where they're just three and four against the spread. They are just four and six against the spread when they have the rest disadvantage. And at home, they're bad, man. Seven and 11 against the spread. So Atlanta, I I don't trust them at home. I don't trust them against the spread period this year. It's been really bad for them. And the Knicks, even though they haven't been great on the entire season, they've been hot. And that's what I'm looking at. In 2013, a friend asked me, hey, uh, what do you you think about Bitcoin? I'm like, "Uh, I lean, I lean Bitcoin. I don't know. If, I don't know if I like it, but I, I lean Bitcoin. Didn't didn't really profit me too much, but I, you know, I'll always I'll always have the lean. Yeah, le- leaning doesn't do a whole lot at the end of the day. Hey, let's uh let, let's look at the other New York team right now, the Brooklyn Nets. My man, it was your best bet. You're uh you're on a best bet heater. What is that? Three straight for you, Mackenzie? Yes, sir. All right. Well, I lost my best bet last episode, but you hit on the Nets, and after beating the Bulls one thirty eight to one twelve in Chicago. James Harden came out and said, yeah, we're that good, implying that that wasn't a fluke, that they took down the one seed Bulls by 26 points. Harden said that that is the norm, not the exception. 
Are you buying or selling, McKenzie, that the Nets are that good? Well, I, I definitely am not selling my, my Nets stock, and I, and I have enough of it. Um, they're the greatest offense ever uh, when they have their, their best three together. Basketball is very complicated. There's a lot of analytics. There's a lot of charts. But I do think that at the end of the day, if, if Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon and, and uh, name the third best offensive player in 1991 would have been on the same team, then, then it would have been ridiculous. It wouldn't have just been slightly better. It's not like – like people put the 96 Bulls along with some of these modern super teams. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm from Chicago. I, I, I watched – yes, I was only six when they won that 1996 championship. I was eight when they won the third. I remember being five, six, seven, and eight watching all three, but it's not like I have a great memory of the team. But I've I've gone back. I've done, I've done the research. I've looked at the games. Dennis Rodman is one of my favorite players ever. Unbelievable rebounder, unbelievable defensive player, could guard all five positions. Yeah, maybe he's as good as Draymond Green. Maybe, maybe. I, I, don't, I don't think Draymond Green is, is, is that great. But the offensive power on that team, Scottie Pippen, he was Draymond Green too. I'm sorry. He he hit 34, 30% of his threes. He was not that good. Replace him with Kevin Durant, who makes 40% of his threes, even if he's dribbling between his legs and pulling up like he did last night in Chicago on the wing. That's 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 a whole different dimension. I know there was I know hand checking was big, but these modern teams are just better. And the Bulls' big three are nice. Levine is has had a great. I, I like that he's willing to share the spotlight with the Rosen, who's better at this point in their careers. But you know he he needs to work on his game some. The Rosen has has come a long way. He's still not a great three point shooter. He still doesn't scare you from all sides of the court. And Lonzo Ball is, is shooting great, but he's he he's a rotation player on an NBA playoff team. Now let's do the other now now let's do the other thing. Let's forget about former all NBA players like Blake Griffin for a second and Marcus Aldridge, you know, who wants like a top five player in the NBA. Let's forget about them for a second. Let's just go Kevin Durant, best player in the world, maybe best offensive player ever. Uh, James Harden, who Daryl Morey once erroneously called uh, MIT graduate Daryl Morey once erroneously called the best offensive player ever, but a very good offensive player, I think we could all admit. And then Kyrie Irving, you know, firebrand, uh, very controversial figure, but Chauncey Billups this week said he's the most talented point guard ever. Don't necessarily agree with that. Um, you know, Juice Thompson uh, from, from the park around my neighborhood was really good. He ended up playing at Northwestern. Shout out Juice Thompson. Uh, I think he still plays. Shout out Juice Thompson. Uh, but yeah, Chauncey Billups saying this third guy who is an afterthought who might be on the team some nights is considered by a great NBA current NBA coach and former NBA finals MVP the most talented at his craft that he's ever seen and he's number three yeah they're that good all right interesting man I'm gonna disagree I'm gonna say that I'm selling that the blowout win in Chicago is the norm for these guys but I'm going to buy two things. The first thing I'm buying is that the Bulls are just flat out in a covering rut, right? They've covered just two out of their past seven after a stretch of four straight covers and eight covers in their last 11. The Bulls lately have really struggled against the spread, but the spread didn't really have much to do with this one. They just got embarrassed, and that's that's just the way things are going right now for Chicago. DeMar DeRozan has come back down to earth a little bit. And like you, so you're saying it has, it has more to do with Chicago than than Brooklyn. Yeah, because we're going to talk about Chicago in a second with the Golden State. Yeah, game. yeah, I, th- I think Chicago is struggling right now. Like I like I was saying, Demar Derozan has come down to earth a little bit. A couple episodes ago, we're talking about him as an MVP dark horse. I don't think too many people 
are talking about that right now. And to your point, Zach Levine has vastly underperformed this season. And Lonzo Ball, I agree with you a thousand percent on a really good competitive team should be a rotation player. I have never been high on Lonzo Ball. I think he wishes he was LaMelo. I mean, I said back when LaMelo was in 10th grade that he was going to be the best ball brother. And I think so far, a lot of people agree Lonzo has been a disappointment. So the Bulls have definitely come back down to earth a little bit. But the second thing I'm going to buy here, and this is about the Nets, and this is a good thing about the Nets. It's just a matter of if they utilize this man correctly. I'm buying that when Patty Mills is on the court, that's when this team plays its best basketball. You know, forget the fact that Kyrie had only nine points in this game. The part that I'm least impressed with, my man, is that he had just three assists. And remember, he is the point guard. Chauncey Billups wants to say he's the most skilled point guard of all time. He should be distributing the ball a little better. And I know we had the discussion, I think it was actually last episode, maybe the one before, about the assist versus the hockey assist and all that. Kyrie, I think, is a bit of a ball hog. Three assists, took 10 shots, only, by the way, hit four of those 10. And his plus minus in this game was just plus 10 in a game that his team won by 26. Now, Patty Mills, on the other hand, his plus minus was 33. And he dropped 21 points in just 22 minutes on six of eight shooting. That's 75% from beyond the arc. I think that Kevin Durant and James Harden, you can probably get more out of those two when Patty Mills is on the court than when Kyrie is. And at the end of the day, I'd rather maximize KD and Harden than get 70% of them and 70% of Kyrie. That's just me though. That is a bold take. So you're saying bench Kyrie, start Mills. I mean, look, in a perfect world, I don't think the Nets need Kyrie. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to bench him. Obviously, they're not going to bench him. So that's not a realistic situation for me to propose. But I think that they are truthfully better with Mills on the court. It's just that they're never going to bench the guy who, you know, they're paying millions upon millions, who is one of the most talented players in the league. I just think Mills fits in better and gets more out of Durant and Harden because Mills enables them to really take the lead. Right right now or it, even through a playoff run? I would say for the remainder of this season. I don't think that Kyrie Irving playing in this part-time role is going to be able to get in a rhythm or at least the rhythm that they need. I, I think the way things are going right now with this Kyrie part-time playing on the road model, I think it's going to end in disappointment and blow up in the Nets' face. I would not be shocked if, if if you're correct. I don't think the NBA is all about finding out who the best team is every season. Anyway, I do think you're right on a lot of levels that Patty Mills right now is the better point guard. He's playing the best he's ever have. He has a rhythm, and the team he's used to playing with him. It's not a coincidence that almost every time he's on the court, like during on Chicago, the, the team plays better than usual. Now they have, when Patty Mills sits, they have another guy to go to. But... Kyrie Irving, 17 points a game, shooting 45%, only three and a half assists per game. All his numbers are down on the season. I'm going to get to this concept again when we go to our best bets, but sometimes when a superstar is underperforming, it's an illustration that the team has room to improve. The fact that in an off night where he shoots four for 10 or whatever, has a, has a, has, you know, it's, it's, a one-point game earlier in the third quarter, and then he goes to the bench and they have like a 22-point run. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's a positive when you can have a great player uh, work his way back into the game and put up 40 points 
when you need it in the playoffs in one game and swing a series. The last, I believe, five times that the, the Nets have played the Bucks with Kyrie in, they've won. And they lost the series three straight games because he wasn't there. I mean, I, I disagree that in the playoff run, you don't need the kind of upside talent that Kyrie brings to the table. I think that's going to help any team in a playoff run. But yeah, right now, Penny Mills is playing great, and Kyrie has been struggling. So maybe look for under props for Kyrie. Yeah, I agree on the under props there. And look, definitely Kyrie can take over a game in a way that Patty Mills probably has never been able to in his life. Now, we've seen Mills, you know, have a couple career nights this season, which I think, you know, we've talked about it a few episodes ago. I strongly believe that he benefits from playing with KD and Harden. I mean, those guys having them on the court on your side, that alleviates a lot of pressure. But I agree, you know, in a conference final situation, Obviously, there's a way better chance Kyrie's going to go off for 40 than Patty Mills will. I just believe that continuity is really important. And right now, Patty Mills can provide continuity that Kyrie just can't playing in this part-time model. By the way, James Harden agrees with you. James Harden, in his post-game press conference, was very adamant. I think he said, I'm going to give him the shot. God damn it. I mean, at, at a certain point... I mean, he he says we've only done this in my last two years, like four times, like we're like like or for like two weeks at a time, uh, one month. I mean, we'll see if they get it. There's some talk that they might change the rule there in New York where you live. If yes, if I could bet right now at plus two fifty the Nets to win the title, and I knew for a fact that from February first to March thirty first, all three were going to play ninety percent of games together then I would probably make my big, the biggest bet of my life on the Nets. Because, yes, continuity does matter. And that's why I'm saying the NBA is not about getting the best team there. If, if I mean, yes, they would preferably do that. But the way it's structured, it's so long. There's so much risk that at a certain two-week period, Anthony Davis ain't going to be there, LeBron ain't going to be there, and you don't move on. So, yeah, the Nets need continuity. They need to be playing their their best and an injury or something else could easily get in the way. That's why I'm not making the biggest bet of my life on the Nets at plus 250. Look, if the NBA or if any sport for that matter was just about the absolute best teams making it to the finals or winning the finals, then, you know, my Giants wouldn't have won the Super Bowl <laughs> back in 08. Uh, Dirk and Jason Terry and the Dallas Mavericks would not have beaten LeBron's Heat. Uh, you know, it's not always about the best team. It's about the team that clicks at the right time. And it's really hard to click when a guy is playing three or four games out of a seven-game series. But hey, the Nets played the Bulls in this one. Let's talk about the Bulls' upcoming game. Dare I say it? The Chicago Bulls are playing host tonight, Friday night, to the ice-cold Golden State Warriors. Mackenzie, what's your projection for this one? Because I think the Warriors are opening up as an underdog, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, currently right now, my CBS Sports app, and I think they get a FanDuel feed, uh, Bulls are a favorite. I predicted two and a half looking at my uh, power ratings matchup tool, but three and a half at FanDuel CBS Sports app. Surprised to see the 30 and 10 Golden State Warriors underdogs in this one, Joe. Wow. You know, I can't say I'm surprised. Three and a half seems a little big, but they were one and a half point dogs uh, tonight to Milwaukee. And what did they lose that game by? 19? Uh, and that's only because... Wasn't that close. Was not yeah, that close. absolutely. I mean, they, they clawed back in at the end. They outscored Milwaukee by 14 in the third quarter and by six in the fourth. So they were down 39 at halftime for you uh, quick mathematicians out there. They got embarrassed. Steph had 12 points and Giannis had a triple-double. I, I mean, 
you know, these are two guys that are probably the front runners in the MVP discussion. And if you're going to go based off head to head, which I know, you know, the voters don't really do, but watching that game tonight, Giannis looked like an MVP. Steph didn't. And the Warriors, they're in a bit of a struggle, a bit of a rut lately themselves. You know, I talk about the Bulls being in that covering rut. Uh, Golden State has not looked great lately. And they're only 12 and 8 straight up on the road. Now they go to Chicago, back to back. I don't know. I'm thinking the Warriors could drop two in a row in this back to back. Yes, I don't agree with, I don't disagree with them being underdogs at all. Uh, I think Draymond Green, he said, he, he, he said early in the season, yeah, I played really bad the last couple of years. Well, maybe he's playing the best basketball of his career, at least impact wise. And I'm really kicking myself. You mentioned the 37 point margin in the first half. This first half, second half splits the last two years. The Bucks have outperformed expectations, their own expectations, their own how they've performed in, throughout games. The second best in the league, the Warriors have underperformed first half expectations versus their own performance in the first half, second worst in the league. And somehow I'd never bet the Bucks minus a half, minus one in the first half. It, everything lined up. And I'm like, Drew Holiday's not going to be there. You know, I've always had success betting the Warriors, and I really am kicking myself because I didn't create the spreadsheet to spit out best, second best, second worst, and then not bet it. But anyway, I digress. I do think the Bulls are the, are the, are the better side here. They just got blown out. In, two, in, in a situation where both teams just got blown out, a team with the rest advantage – and, you know, more time to gear in on this particular matchup, more time to look at the X's and O's and practice and shoot around and everything. Uh, I, I, I do think it's it's Bulls are passing this one. I'm with you. And, and let's look at the numbers really quick, because with that Milwaukee game, you've got Golden State coming back down to earth in a big way. McKenzie, they've covered just once now in their past six games. They are just nine and 10 against the spread on the road. They are three and three against the spread in the second leg of a back-to-back and just five and six with a rest disadvantage. Also, as a road dog, just four and four. So the Warriors in every category I just listed are at best 500 against the spread, really have not been impressive. Now look at Chicago. You mentioned having that rest advantage, nine and four against the spread when they do have a rest advantage. Also, 11 and six against the spread as a home favorite. You know, I did say that they were in a covering rut, only covering twice in their past seven, but they've won 10 out of their last 12 games. And this team has a lot of pride, a lot of veterans like DeMar DeRozan after getting blown out the way they did at home to the Brooklyn Nets. I think they bounce back with a home win and I think they cover in this one. Well, speaking of bounce back, I think uh, you usually throw it to me since you need to bounce back and we're both five and three, but you did, you lose your last one. I'm gonna throw it to you first. Where are you going with your, it's that time best bet. I love it, man. Let's do it. I'm going to an Atlanta Hawks game for this one. Not the Hawks Knicks Saturday night, but the Hawks heat Friday night where the Miami heat are three and a half point favorites in Atlanta. And I think that number is too damn low. We talked about it with the Hawks giving up reddish. They're in sell mode. They're packing it in. Like I said, they've only covered two out of their past nine, while the Miami Heat, a top three team in the Eastern Conference standings, has covered in four straight and five out of six. It's also 
a back-to-back, not back-to-back nights, but back-to-back games between the Hawks and the Heat. The Hawks actually had one of these a couple weeks ago with the Bulls, and they lost the first one 131 to 117. You think, all right, maybe, you know, they'll go out there the next night, same team, and they'll win, right? You, You figure two teams will split. They lost by almost the same exact score. They lost the second one 130 to 118. Well, Miami just beat Atlanta by 24 on Wednesday night, despite actually being an underdog in that one. Miami was getting two and a half points. If you look at the way the the Atlanta-Chicago back-to-back unfolded, I think you have a better chance of Miami blowing them out again than you do of these two teams splitting this one. Three and a half points is not enough. I mean, take Miami minus three and a half, take Miami minus four and a half. I'd take them anything, honestly, up to five. And and I would just waltz to the bank with that. Miami minus three and a half, my best bet. Can't disagree with you. Miami playing great basketball right now. It's funny. There was a question mark with uh, Jimmy Butler going into a Suns game. And you asked me what my projection was. We ended up not talking about that game. I'm like, well, if Jimmy Butler doesn't play, my numbers say it should be 12, but I think it's going to be around nine if Jimmy Butler plays. Well, he didn't play. And I'm like, well, I don't think it's going to be 12, actually. It's hard to make the, the heat significant underdogs no matter who they trot out there it's it's really impressive it's really a testament to, to Spo, coach eric spolstra and like hero dunn robinson these are all also rands in the in the nba you know asset gathering market and um can't disagree with you hawks most disappointing team in the league thus far and the heat playing great basketball now uh without further ado i'll give you mine and you mentioned that you were going to say not Saturday. Make sure to get the heat on Friday. Let me flip it around for the audience. Not Friday, but I want you to take the Dallas Mavericks. My project- projections say minus four and a half in the first half, hosting the Orlando Magic. Now, my uh, I want to give you something to bet. Pri- buy price up to six. No more than that. And it's very important to get to this number early. Uh, I missed t- this morning. Denver Nuggets opened as a minus four and a half favorite. And they, according to my numbers, the last two years, number one team beating their own expectations in the first half. And they did it again. They cruised in the first half. And I woke about 9 a.m. Pacific and it was six. And they're only a nine and a half point favorite in the game. And it was six. The, and the game ended up closing 11. But it went to show you the market has caught on to how good the Nuggets are in the first half. But it's still open four and a half. The bookies don't trust to move away from their algorithms when this number opens. So buy price up to six. Don't get it at six with big or six and a half. I think they're going to be about a nine and a half to ten point favorite over the Orlando Magic. But it's it's really simple. Uh, Luka Doncic needs a get right game. Eight for 23 the last time out. Under 30, 40, or under... He's been in that range, 8 to 23, 7 to 21, at least five games in a row since he's been back from injury. Hasn't had a good game. And much like Kyrie, he's better than that. He only has a 21 PER right now. As a 22 year old, it was 25. He will find games and moments to assert himself as a superstar that he is. And against the Orlando Magic team with no guards of consequence, I like him to get lots of opportunities, come out early. 15 assists throughout the game, maybe eight in the first half. And the Dallas Mavericks, the last two years, fourth best, beating their own expectations in the first half. Orlando Magic, the worst. 
And if you look at the way the Orlando Magic are set up, 30th out of 30 makes sense because in the first half, the defense is ready, rested, set up in the, in the half court. They can see you, and Cole Anthony is not shaking anybody. Jalen Suggs, young man, has not proven to had any kind of edge, any kind of advantage over his man in the NBA. And when you don't have an edge in the backcourt, it's often very, very slow going in the first half. In the second half, they're a well-coached team. They're a hustle team, kind of like the Thunder. They get back into games. But the first half, they expose themselves. That's why I'm saying up to six, I love the Mavericks laying it, hosting the Orlando Magic on Saturday. I love it too, man. I think I'm going to hit that bet as well. McKenzie, let's do it, man. Let's go six and three through our first nine. We're both even right now. We're both, like you said, 63%, five out of eight. Let's make it six out of nine. Hell yeah, man. Let's get it. Let's do it. That's it for episode nine of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. For my man, Mackenzie Rivers, I'm Joe Serralo. Guys, have a money-making weekend.